Anarchy from the UK. It's coming sometime, and maybe this is Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. It's Anarchy, everyone. Two races yet again at the same circuit, this time in jolly old England. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, we have Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing fine. I haven't lived in England for a number of years now, but uh, judging on the headlines, I'm not quite sure it's so jolly these days. Well, it's not much better than here, maybe. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, not too bad. Doing, uh, getting, getting excited for another doubleheader, I think, is the thing. Like, I had a week without racing, and that was, was bullshit. That weird? So yeah. now back to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Uh, I, feel, I feel like I'm spoiled now, because not only did I get, like, it's been, like, week after week after week of UFC, but also baseball came back as well. Oh, yeah. So now it's like, Dude, the you know, like where are you at, F1? The grand doing opening it. of the baseball season. The grand closing <laughs> of the baseball season. <laughs> exactly. The A's are 1-0, and and they got a... They got, and that's they got how a they're going to slam walk off. Yeah, it was it was great. Now the, yeah, uh, the so. Marlins are typhoid marrying the the. Uh, the I know. Did you? God, did I tell you guys that I got so my old uh, like double like, A team in um in Maryland was the Bowie Bay Sox. It was like ten minutes from where where I lived. I don't know what and, uh, that means, but it's a great name. It's a yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and uh, they were selling shirts uh, before the season because or uh, no, they were selling shirts because the. Uh, I guess minor leagues all got cancelled like about two months ago and they put up a shirt that was uh, like unbeaten 2020 and had all the, <laughs> the cancelled <laughs> games on the back of it so I got that one so I was nice. pretty happy with that yeah uh, if you are new to this podcast welcome if you are new to Formula One itself uh, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode uh, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and gives the lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is uh, this year's primer is episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, uh, primers for other racing series, and a lot of other uh, weird stuff. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What has been going on over in Patreon land this month, Danny? <laughs> oh boy, this this month's podcast was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Rob suggested we watch the classic uh, 1966 uh, drama Grand Prix, uh, which has some of the most incredible motorsport footage, new or old, Um modern or classic uh and uh it's fair to say all three of us really like that movie uh yeah. what it was doing um so we have a you know it's a long movie but it was a long podcast it gets about two hours and ten minutes of us gushing over the is the that our longest one shots I, I yeah definitely of the 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 patron exclusive stuff um we couldn't rinse that much out of uh driven <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no but uh, so that'll be going up um, this Friday, uh, last day of the month. Um, so look out for that on the Patreon feed. I am cool. just going to interject here real quickly and say that hmm. since we recorded the Days of Thunder episode, it has come to my attention that as part of promo promoing the new Top Gun movie that's coming out, a random assortment of Tom Cruise movies were released on 4K ultra high def with HDR. Oh no! And one of them mysteriously was Days of Thunder, uh, <laughs> and I'm a little bit pissed because I have no intention of ever watching that movie again. Like I think I've seen it like two or three times in my life. I don't think I need to see it again, but I do regret a little bit 
like not having seen the archival quality like forever yeah. and all time uh you know piece de resistance of that that is <laughs> days of thunder the best movie that can be is the one that just came out uh so if you've given that a, if you've given that a shout uh let us know yeah totally no better time to check out our back catalog as well there on you go yeah com slash shift f1 i wonder if uh I wonder if like the Castro Theater ever shows Days of Thunder. You know, I know they do. Dude, uh, fucking these days, they'll show anything. If you can get two people together, they'll put on whatever movie you want. They'll put porn up on that thing if it'll get more than a handful of folks in. Uh, well, there's no segue uh, from that, but we will be discussing the British Grand Prix uh, in this episode. But first, some news. Um, Danny, what has been going on um, around... Uh, the, the Formula One calendar for 2020. Yeah, I thought it was appropriate I cover this considering I was the, uh, the 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 dark horse, the naysayer months ago that said we'd never get any races. So uh, why not? Why not have me talk about the three latest races that have been added to the 2020 calendar? And uh, we've enjoyed a bunch of races since the Grand Prix season started uh, just about a month and a half ago. But uh, one of the things we were wondering was how long the season would be extended into the future. Um, And also we were wondering whether any of them would be cancelled. Perhaps one of the most likely ones was Silverstone, but it looks like everything's going ahead for the moment. Hopefully I haven't jinxed it. Um, So what's interesting is that we have had three new races added to the calendar. Um, One of them a sort of a mainstay of F1. One circuit that has never had an F1 uh, race on it. And a returning favourite? I don't know. Definitely one that was... You know, very familiar to, to folks who have um, enjoyed F1 in the past. Uh, so the first one we're going to get is between is uh, the race will be on uh, September 11th. Oh, sorry, October 11th, um, at the Nurburgring in Germany. Of course, a, a classic track. Any F1 fan over the past, um, you know, at any stage basically has has enjoyed racing at the Nurburgring, be it in the sort of fractured um, tennis ball tennis game with Nurburgring where they went back and forth. Um, or in the past, where it was a bit more of a mainstay. I have lots of uh, fun memories being uh, drunk on the um, start finish straight at Rockham Ring, the metal festival. That was a lot of fun. Um, the next one that's on after that, there's a, a week break, and then we're off to uh, Portimao in the Algarve in South Portugal. Uh, which will have the race on the 25th of October. Um, I know very little about the circuit, and it's never held an F1 race. Um, it, it it looks like a pretty well-kitted-out uh, circuit. Um, uh, sort of looks relatively modern as well, but like I said, it's never actually had an F1 race on it, so um, that's going to be interesting on, you know, practice. I, I'm sure they the drivers don't even have simulators for this stuff, so that's going to be kind of all over the place uh, and then a week after that um we are shooting uh, across the mediterranean to imola um in, in italy which is another uh, track which f1 fans uh, from days gone will will know fairly well but hasn't been so much of a uh, uh, a feature in the modern era um so that's uh that's that's one of two uh, we will hopefully be getting in italy obviously with monza still being on the calendar as well so yeah, it brings uh, up to I think we're up to ten races then at that stage. Um, uh, Mugello has also been talked about um, uh, as as being uh, another uh, location, but I don't think we have a date for that one. Is that right? I think that's the case. Uh, anyway. I, th- um, I think that one. I think it might have just be confirmed in the calendar now. I'm not sure. Oh really? Okay. Um, I don't have the here. Let me see if I can get the actual the finished calendar as it is right now. Um, up here. Um, I do then, know. Uh, MotoGP has raced at uh, Portimao, 
So, um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I wonder what exactly they had to do to bump it from, if anything, to bump it up in terms of safety or track grade or whatever from MotoGP to Formula One. I wonder what kind of considerations need to be taken yeah. for, for well, remember you know, the t- premier class of bikes versus cars. Right, like how much stuff, because presumably a lot of these tracks were being, you know, Nürburgring and Imola, they're already up to grade, so easy for them to pick that. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see what exactly they needed to do um, to get that one up there. Um, So just to do a little bit of recap, I guess, on whatever rounds. We've had three rounds already. Uh, Round four is on this weekend. Round five is on uh, the next weekend, like we are saying, double header in England. Um, Then we're off to Spain uh, for round six. Round seven's at Spa. Round eight is in Monza, looking at that map. Um, and then the next one is, is that Imola? Is that how it's working? Uh, no, that's no, that's Mugello, I think. No, that's Mugello. Sorry, that's Mugello. That's Mugello. Right, yeah. the Tuscan and then Grand Sochi's Prix. And next. Right, yes. I knew. So we have three. We have three Italian ones. Jesus. Right. Um, and then Sochi's on after that on the 27th of September, which then brings us up to Nürburgring. So we're doing the very interesting... Belgian, Italy, Italy, Russia, Germany, <laughs> Portugal, Italy. <laughs> yeah, so, that's wild. <laughs> a bit all over the place. Um, and uh, from what we've been hearing uh, uh, from other places, that it looks like the Gulf region races, unless anything is going crazy, will happen around mid-December. But obviously nothing's getting confirmed at this stage because it's just too far out. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of... Where we're at, we're not going to have Brazil, we're not going to have USA, Mexico, or Canada. They've all been written off. Um, but it looks like we'll get a, we're getting a lot in Europe, and it looks like we'll probably get the um, the Arabian Peninsula races out of it too. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to see, because the schedule has been so shifted around, and this is getting toward the really hot times in uh, yeah. in a lot of these places, you know, the, the heat has a lot to do with car performance, you know, tire grip and uh, air density and that kind of stuff, you know, uh, aerodynamic effect, uh, effectiveness, engine effectiveness. Um, I yeah. have been watching MotoGP uh, also um, in my, in that dark uh, weekend without mm. a race. I did the same. Um, <laughs> and this, this last race was really impacted by the heat they were racing in um, at, uh, at the Hereth circuit. Cool. Um, and, and the called, track wow, temperature the summer. was 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Plus? Wow, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's it's we've we've had there was a similar effect. The Premier League has just wrapped up, but they they introduced a new uh, rule where they were out having water breaks, which have never existed in like I don't think any European soccer. Any oh, like a timeout. Yeah, basically a a referee mandated at any stage, usually around the halfway point of each half. Um, usually a break in play after a goal or something like that, the referee would have a like a break, basically a water break timeout for the uh, players because they weren't used to playing in the height of summertime, right? right? It's just like far hotter. So I imagine there's a similar consideration when it comes to the drivers. We, we already talked about how Malaysia is so difficult and uh, they do it at nighttime. So presumably the Arabian Peninsula races being done in December is sort of a nod to that at least. Um but yeah, like Hockenheim, even like Nurburgring in summertime, man, that's hot up there. I, you know, I, I've uh, it was around this time of year where um, when I was there myself. So you know, Portimao, Algarve, this is like the August and July are the height of um, 
tourists going to well i guess not this year maybe but yeah all all it should all be very interesting um i'm just super interested in the portimao one just to see how they adapt to it um and i guess the second italy italian one as well to see another track where i don't think they've ever f1 has never been at mugello either i don't think um so yeah should be interesting uh well speaking of italy rob yeah so uh I saw somebody joking on Twitter that it is a very cruel twist of fate. It might have been Hazel Southwell. Uh, it's a very cruel twist of fate that in a year where Ferrari is going to have to go back to Italy three times, uh, <laughs> they've put together their most hobbled campaign in ages. And they are... Last week, we talked a little bit about how uh, Mattia Bonato was sort of poo-pooing the idea that anybody needed to be fired uh that certainly like that wasn't the change that needed to be put into play this week we found out what he did mean uh by things needing to change and that is a team restructuring uh the big change being that ferrari has created a performance development department uh that is going to operate it sounds like separately from uh bonato while he focuses on the team and has its own sort of head that it is reporting to. Uh, so this puts uh, the engineer Enrico uh, Cardiel uh, in charge of that department. He was the uh, aerodynamics uh, chief at, at Ferrari. But the big uh, change involved in this is it really does shrink Bonato's portfolio quite a bit. And, you know, it feels like we've talked about Bonato and, and what he's a fit for a lot over the years doesn't seem like this is any sort of like quiet ouster or anything. This really does genuinely seem like this job became too big uh, for for one guy and this isn't really what he signed up for. And so now they are uh, getting to a more traditional F1 team structure where there's a development program that is separate from the uh, competitive program. Uh, Dieter Rankin had an interesting uh, gloss on this over at race fans, basically arguing that the entire structure at Ferrari that was in place was really kind of created there so that uh, Sergio Marchione could step into it and would have almost unprecedented uh, control of uh, the Ferrari organization. Um, it really would have been like the closest parallel would be like a uh, coach who is also a general manager, uh, which is a very mm -hmm. rare thing in sports. And when it happens, it's very it tends to be pretty dicey because like that is a lot of things to juggle and it requires a great deal of competence at, at all of these things. Uh, Marchion may have been the guy uh, to manage that kind of team. But he unfortunately passed away in 2018, and so Ferrari kind of lurched into this awkward uh, interregnum where the entire system had been designed for one sort of, like, brilliant central character to control the team, and that character disappeared, and it devolved to people who never really intended to be managing uh, that much of the team. And the other part of this, Rangan argues, is that what Marchion had sort of imagined was beneath him, there'd be kind of a flat hierarchy, right? Where he could sort of touch all parts of the team all at once. Mm -hmm. um, but 
in the absence of him, a flat hierarchy as it has at other teams seems to have not borne out positive results. Uh, obviously, it was the matrix management style that uh, McLaren blamed a lot of their woes on over the years. And so it really does seem like there was a, um, there was a fad in F1 trying to get away from sort of hier- like hierarchical structures. And I'm not sure if any of that has really borne out in, in F1. Um, I, I think there's probably an interesting conversation to be had about like where this notion, this fascination with like almost like agile development structures, like why people <laughs> thought that would be the way to go across all sorts of organizations. Um, but yeah, it definitely seems like there was a change in management paradigms in F1, or at least there was an, an imagined one. And now it seems like there's kind of a retreat from that because it's, it's not generating the results. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Ferrari so, well, uh, tried the open floor plan and then we're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you literally, literally that was what I was going to say. We need to spend less time <laughs> with each other, man. Well, well, Danny, you and I did work at the same place for quite a while. That's true. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, do you remember offices? Uh, no, that dog does. <laughs> I am also. I also have an open floor plan, uh, and I share it with a nine-month-old poodle, uh, <laughs> and uh, she's a terrible coworker. And it is. Oh, I'm sorry. She was supposed to be fed eight minutes ago. Uh, wow, so, clockwork yes. keeps you honest, huh? She'll probably get the corner office before you, anyway, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, from one uh, shakeup at. A team to, I guess, another. This is not quite as large, but uh, may be significant. Red Bull um, Autosport.com uh, is reporting has shuffled uh, its technical team around slightly, um, putting in one Simon Rennie uh, into the race engineer spot for Alex Albon. So the race engineer, of course, is uh, the guy who talks to the driver. Um, that's how broadcast, uh, that's how we... we hear from the race engineer on the broadcast. Um, I actually don't know that much about what their duties are beyond that. I'm sure it is vast, um, mm. but I, I'd really love to uh, to know more about it. Um, but anyway, Rennie is, he was uh, Mark Weber and Daniel Ricardo's uh, race engineer uh, when they were at Red Bull um, between 2013 and 2018. But then he decided to go uh, take a factory role at Red Bull, um, which apparently uh, led partially to uh, Ricardo's decision to leave Red Bull, which is uh, I found interesting. Mm. Um, but uh, following, I'm just going to quote from the article here, uh, following Albon's challenging start to the 2020 season, which included failing to make Q3 for the Hungarian Grand Prix, Red Bull has elected to bring Rennie back into its trackside setup to assist the second year tie driver uh his his previous engineer a guy named mike lug um will remain with red bull uh in a in a factory uh role um i imagine lug's not is uh yeah there we go all right yeah, can i the... just be a little conspiratorial here <laughs> please please I, I like i i emphasize that language red bull has elected to bring him back like i yes go ahead rob so I didn't totally get why George Russell um, mm. had really gone to bat for Alex Albin, uh, saying that, remember, was it last week or the week before? He basically had made comments where, uh, 
arguing that Red Bull were making Albon look the fool, right? That he he was a great driver. Everyone who drove with him in lower series could tell you that Albon was an ace and was at the top of the field wherever he competed. And now he was struggling at Red Bull. And Russell was really pointed. And that's that struck me as weird because I think we've all commented on how crazy polished and smooth Russell has been. Like, dude does not mm. seem like someone who just shoots from the hip, uh, seems very measured. And so his weirdly pointed critique of Red Bull did strike me as just a little bit odd as, like, why he felt like, you know what I'm going to do today? Uh, I'm going to say that Red Bull's totally hosing uh, their their right. number two driver. And in light of this news, I am kind of wondering, like, was this him saying things that his buddy Alex couldn't, right? Was yeah. this him shooting across the bows of Red Bull and kind of forcing their hand that, like, listen, uh, you know, right now it's in it's in the family, but it won't be for long, so, so put your house in order. Because this does seem like, as you said, Drew, like, this is kind of weird messaging uh, where it's just like, oh, yeah, we, uh, n- nobody's at fault. But we need to get this guy out of here, and whoever has been like working with uh, with Alex is just not getting it done. Did that guy yeah, also I, work with Gasly? Oh, I don't know. Presum- presumably, right? Well, I guess the, yeah. the article didn't. Well, no, he he left, and then Ricardo left. So he and Gasly. No, no, no. Would no, not no. I mean, uh, the dude who got replaced. Oh, Lug. Yeah. Mike yeah. Lug. Oh, that's yeah. a good maybe. Yeah, I would be surprised. Like, hard, yeah, yeah, because so much of the engineer the the engineer job is about like being the psychologist and the translator for the driver, right? Like interpreting yeah. what they're feeling about Capcom. car setup. Yeah, mm. and so that's there's a lot of nuance to that job, and I do kind of wonder now with another promising driver struggling, um, you know, in his hands, maybe Red Bull kind of figured it was time to maybe not tr- swap the driver this time yeah, yeah. I, ha- I hate to make assumptions about this sort of stuff but but that does it kind of all blow, you know the wind is blowing that way in a lot of this right it kind of it's not too difficult to see that being the case um yeah, yeah. and i i i wonder if um i mean the other thing that russell's comments did is like you know, it may not have he may not have been responding to something that Red Bull said, but maybe something that they didn't. Like, it could be yeah. that he didn't detect any defense of Albon from Red Bull, and so he had he felt like he had to do it, um, or at least pressure them into saying something. And sure enough, uh, Christian Horner, I I believe this is the timeline, did say something after that, um, saying that like, uh, you know, any any criticism of Alex is uh, you know. It, um, uh, incomprehensible or something like that um right yeah. so yeah i i hope that we don't see history repeating itself with Albin. um you know that it's not just he doesn't get chewed up by the red bull machine yeah um, i think he's then, a lot i think sign. he's a lot better a prospect than a lot of than gasly and, and so you know I, I think he's stronger and mentally as well but i i guess we'll find out in the next you know a couple of races but Silverstone's not exactly a fantastic track for them but we'll you know as long as he as long as he performs you know as long as he gets into q1 i think that'll right. go a long way anyway but this is like the red bull the, like them making a team change is is 
in some ways kind of an admission that it's not oh, yeah. just Alex, which is, you know, big time. It's, it's good to see. Hmm. Um, speaking of going into the race, Danny, what can you tell us about where we are racing this weekend? Oh my goodness, yes. Let's talk about uh, this new track on the F1 calendar. It's called <laughs> Silverstone. Silverstone. Um, Silverstone is the oldest in many ways, um, uh, depending on how you like it, look back at history. Uh, Formula One track, it was the first ever race in the newly created World Championship of Drivers in 1950. It used to bounce between Aintree and Brands Hatch for a couple of years. Um but it's basically been the home of F1 every year since 87, which is practically my entire life. Um, it's gone through a lot of changes in those years. It's 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 an interesting track because it's sort of in the old guard of tracks that were created on old World War II airstrips, uh, which where it gets its sort of triangular formation with its... Uh, you can sort of see in in, in some of the straights um, the way it's configured, uh, but it's gone through a bunch of changes over the years, and and even in sort of you know the the nineties and two thousands, and even in the more recent years we've had. I think twenty ten is when they had the sort of really big change. Um, they've changed where the start finish straight has been in the past decade, um, but it's throughout this whole period remained one of the longest tracks at 5.9 kilometers and also one of the fastest it's got a 65 percent of the lap of this very long lap is done at full throttle with some incredibly wow. fast uh, corners cops and uh, beckett's being um done both done at over uh, 300 kph um because of the fact that it's an airfield it is basically flat as a pancake there's a little bit of um height on on the back on the hanger straight but generally it's like it's fairly flat um, as you'd come to expect. Um, and the big sort of section that was changed um, in between Abbey and Luffield, basically, uh, was uh, is, is actually one of the more interesting parts of the track and also contains the first of two DRS straights um, that are on this. It's a fast enough track and has a lot of fast cornering in it. I think that's the sort of the main takeaway from Silverson is that unlike a lot of these modern tracks that now we see, you know, three DRS straights being something normal. Um, um, Silverson kind of doesn't need it because they retain so much pace throughout a lot of these corners. And because a lot of the corners also have kind of like difficult um, apexes that you carry speed through. So if you end up bungling one of those or or messing up maggots and beckets a little bit, then you actually will get caught later on. So it, it's not like they need to artificially create so many um, overtaking spots uh, in terms of like actual parts of the track that you should look out for it's kind of hard at silverstone because the main like the parts that sort of are memorable or maybe memorable because of the camera angles or the action it, it, the, i feel like there's a lot of stuff that happens all over the circuit here it's it's certainly not like the last race where we have like you know the hungaroring where you you basically overtake on the first two turns or maybe on the last one and that's it um it's kind of a uh, race pace is sort of dictated all over it here. Uh, Cops is obviously a massive favorite. It's a uh, very fast right-handed. It leads into maggots and beckets, which are basically sort of like S curves that uh, drive the car, take a uh, very fast. And then they lead from that into the hangar straight, which is the second DRS zone. So that whole section is taken super fast. You get a lot of nice little chopper shots. Um, the club corner, which leads onto the start finish straight, uh, last year that's where Vettel and Verstappen, you might remember Verstappen or sorry Vettel rather, 
basically rammed his arse. They kind of got a little bit mixed up and Sebastian was a little bit too close to him and they ended up both hitting it into the uh, into the pebbles on the edge of that. But that whole section between Stowe and Vale, uh, the, the, there's a there's kind of a tight-breaking zone um, there before you get to the, the penultimate two corners at club. Um, that whole section as well is where we'll probably see a bit of overtaking. Um, but yeah, the whole little village section after that, like, you know, from turn four onwards is is a lot of fun too it's 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 a classic track it's a really good track like there's there's always a lot of fun racing here uh you often get interesting weather scenarios uh if not on race day then certainly in qualifying or practice um and uh one of the main things about silverstone is always the fans and unfortunately we won't have them this year but uh you know who knows maybe like the premier league they'll have a million cardboard cutouts sitting up in the stands (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a track that's so old, every corner has a name, which I think is cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't pick them out by sight, but it's nice to know, I guess. Um, it also looks like, I just sort of realized this uh, looking at this chart while you were describing it, Danny. It looks like, you know, in um, video games that allow you to create your own track where you get sort of a preset tile for different kinds of turns. It looks yeah. like you were given a stack of like one each on different kinds of turns and <laughs> you had to use them all. And that's kind of what we get here. Yeah. It's there, there are all the, there's a lot of left and right handers. It, it, there's a, which, which I will, I think a large part of that has to do with when they broke apart Abbey and, and sort of created that whole new loop section. Um, uh, it also added like a slow part of the track. I think it was a bit one note in the past. It was like incredibly fast, except for um, club, which used to not be the last turn on the, on the circuit as well. Um, so I think uh, I think it, it's got a lot more variety. But you're right. It's 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 the apex is it's got a million and one different types of corners. There's 18 corners on it, and they all have their own you know sort of flavor to them, uh, which they kind of need to because like it's not like they have ups and downs you know you, you right. need you need a bit of flavor elsewhere um yeah I, there's a reason why for instance you know we talk a lot about how the circuit of the americas is a franken track and one of the things they took was was inspiration from maggots and beckets for their s's like there's a reason why we see silverstone in other tracks it's uh it's 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 unlike a lot of tracks where the car has gotten faster and they've become less interesting silverstone has somehow always managed to to be uh to sort of work with the cars Cool. Well, the cars um, should be working pretty well in terms of uh, weather this weekend because mm. we've got fairly um, mild temperatures, uh, low 70s uh, or high 60s, actually. Mm. Um, on... Fierce mild, as we'd say back home. Oh, really? Okay. Never heard uh-huh. that one. Fierce mild. Weather's fierce mild. Um, yeah, so 70 uh, Fahrenheit or uh, low 20s Celsius on qualifying day and just a little cooler uh, on race day. Um, wind, a little windy. Uh, it looks like both days we've got wind out of the west at uh, 12 miles an hour or 19 kilometers an hour. Um, and precipitation, 1% on qualifying day, rises a little bit to 15% uh, for race day. But uh, should be should be uh, just fine for everybody out there. It's partly cloudy and uh, not quite shorts weather, but hmm. maybe racing weather. So, it um, sounds like the type of place that it might be nice to kind of live there. You know, it's 365 days a year might be a good spot. What do you think, Rob? <laughs> oh, sounds perfect. <laughs> Was it you that were telling me that they're 
put they're putting like condos next to the track or something. Yeah, the um God, <laughs> so there was a piece about them opening a development trackside uh with like well north of a million euros uh oh boy. like houses that overlook the track. Um and the 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 copy for the the marketing materials on this is hilarious it's like the perfect place to live out your racing fantasy and i'm like <laughs> of of watching the circuit be empty yeah like i guess days a year. do can do they do track days at silverstone like can you just oh, like pay money they do yeah, yeah probably. can you can you pull out of your garage just straight onto you know Pro- luffield <laughs> <laughs> probably not i guess it could be cool like if you had an awesome car like go do a track day i guess whenever you want you can just afford the tires sure uh but right. yeah i can't here's the thing silverstone great track iconic legendary not photogenic i would say it's no, it, that's yeah good point like trackside housing at like austria uh or by oh. Magello, that probably would be cool I don't know about like old World War II airfield uh, aesthetics. <laughs> uh, all right. So going into this weekend, let's just run down the driver standings here. Lewis Hamilton has 63 points, followed by his teammate Valtteri Bottas with 58. Max Verstappen has 33. Lando Norris in fourth place with 26. Uh, Alex Albon and Sergio Perez are tied for fifth place with 22 points. Uh, Charlotte Claire and Lance Stroll are tied for seventh place with 18 uh, Carlos Sainz uh, has 15 points. Sebastian Vettel with nine. Daniel Ricciardo has eight. Uh, Pierre Gasly has six. Esteban Ocon with four points. Antonio Giovinazzi with uh, two points in 14th place. Daniel Kvyat and Kevin Magnussen are tied for 15th with one point. That means Kimi Raikkonen, Nicholas Latifi, Romain Grosjean, and George Russell have zero points in terms of constructor standings mercedes is on top with 121 red bull in second with 55 mclaren's in third with 41 racing point in fourth with 40 and ferrari is in fifth place with 27 points uh oh. renault has 12 alpha tauri has seven alpha romeo has two gene haas in team with one point and williams has zero there we uh, go. If you would like to get some points of your own, we have a uh, an official Shift F1 league for Formula One fantasy. If you'd like to hop into our league and play, you can do so. There's a link in the show notes. Um, I also wanted to give a uh, special shout out to Kiyomi of the Shift F1 Patreon Discord uh, for winning the Shift F1 Unofficial Classic uh, F1 2019 Video Game Championship. So uh, well done, Kiyomi. And I think they're starting up uh, a new virtual championship for F1 uh, 2020. So if you are a patron, uh, get in on that Discord and grab your racing wheel. Yeah. Uh, should we take just some emails? <clears throat> Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails for the cool kids. This one comes in from Nick and it's uh, all about Mattia Bonato from a Ferrari fan's perspective. Hi, guys. Longtime listener, big fan of the show. Last week, you guys were wondering. What are people internally thinking about Bonato? I cannot say anything about my internal thoughts, but my wife is a Ferrari fan, and her thoughts are pretty clear. Throw him into the sea! <laughs> Keep up the good work, Nick. Um, 
I mostly wanted to use this as an opportunity to sort of get more feedback from Ferrari fans. We know we have a bunch of Ferrari fans, obviously, who listen to the podcast. Um, is the, you know, we're, I don't think we're at critical stages here with the Bonata situation, but clearly there are a lot of fans who are not particularly pleased with Ferrari at the moment, perhaps are, you know, putting some of the blame on him. So if you're a Ferrari fan, please shift up one podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are and what your thoughts are for kind of the rest of the season because it's been a tough one for you guys. Yeah, I'm sure there's still uh, still one Ferrari fan out there who thinks he's godlike. Mm. Um, this next one comes from Vinny in Australia uh, who has a, boy, a lot of information here about uh, manual transmissions, um, but I wanted to focus in on uh, the anti-stall system, which uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about. Um, we were talking... Uh, last week about um, you know what happens when a car spins out and and fails to start again. Um, Vinny says clutches in F1 cars f- work fundamentally the same as in road cars. The manner in which the driver operates it, however, is different. In road cars, the clutch is operated by a third foot pedal. In F1, it is operated by a paddle on the back of the steering wheel. The paddle is connected to an electronic system, which in turn controls the clutch via a hydraulic system. The system also operates the power steering, brakes, and gear shifts in an F1 car. The anti-stall system has a sensor that can detect when the engine speed slows too much. When the engine speed is too low and stalling is imminent, the system quickly takes over the operation of the clutch and disengages it, allowing the engine to continue running slash idling. To reset, the driver will need to pull the clutch paddle again. You've seen this at race starts, where the driver has released the clutch paddle too aggressively or didn't apply enough throttle, and anti-stall has kicked in. Uh, This is uh, the case for um, uh, Valtteri Bottas, I think, uh, in the last race. Uh, The car lurches forward and stops. You rarely see engine stalls in F1 these days, but it can still happen. Either the anti-stall system has failed or it could not prevent a stall due to another issue with the car. However, all is not lost. Uh, And a a number of people did point this out. So thanks everyone who um, let me know on Twitter. Uh, With the hybrid systems in place now, there is a way to restart the engine in a stall event. If the car has enough charge in its batteries, it can use the MGUK to turn and crank the engine just like a starter motor. Mm. Problem solved. I hope that all made sense. Loving the podcast. Keep up the good work. Uh, Vinny in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks, Vinny. That's amazing. I, I hope that the MGUK is is uh, what do you call those 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 pu- things you pull out from the dashboard? <laughs> those, those old starter motors, or you you like pull the the thing out like to, a lawnmower? The, the choke, the choke. Is that what oh, it's called? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's one of those. They just have to like yank. Yeah, almost like a lawnmower. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was ox- that was uh, that was cool. Thanks, Vinny, for that for that email. Um, uh, on to more important things in many ways. Uh, Rob, can you give us uh, an update? We've uh, uh, Drew in Seattle has come in with some interesting information, crucial information on our favorite soft drink company. Yeah, Drew in Seattle writes, much like my introduction to F1, Netflix has yet again led me into a niche. Uh, from an American perspective, subsection of European sport with the documentary series Sunderland Till I Die. It follows the sad demise of a once-proud football club from the Premier League through relegation down to the lowest level of English football. Pause here. Danny, this sounds awesome. Should I check this story out? I haven't watched this yet because uh, it seems like a lot. And I'm, yeah, Sunderland are an interesting team. They're basically the, I don't want to say, I'll say this wrong and piss off a bunch of magpies. Um, They are the 
the other side of the river to Newcastle, let's say. They're up stuck up in the northeast, which if you know anything about the Game of Thrones is basically, you know, the crazy people in the north. That's like Newcastle and Sunderland fans. Okay. <laughs> and and Sunderland fans are incredibly uh, devoted to their team. They're like really good fans in the same way that Newcastle fans are of Newcastle. And they're diehards, you know, uh, depending on where they live. Uh, so I haven't watched this yet, but I do want to. And they're pushing it pretty hard, Netflix. But uh, okay. yeah, it, it only gets better from here, the email. Ending the second season of the doc with the ownership of the club on unsure ground, having failed in the final game of the season to be promoted out of League One. Uh, I have been periodically checking the status of, Sunder- of Sunderland during COVID, and today the worlds have collided as it is now rumored that Richard's story of rich energy is in talks to pr- purchase the Sunderland <laughs> Football Club. As fans of F1, I believe we have a responsibility to stop this from happening. There are so many things wrong in the world, but this is something we have the ability to do something about. We cannot let this happen to the good people of Sunderland, and I hope you feel the same and use whatever platform you have to prevent another 2020 disaster from taking place. And there is indeed, as inevitably there would be, a tweet from William Story uh, saying he has significant funding from blue chip backers. Sunderland are a giant of English football, and their fans deserve a team to reflect that stature. Uh, hashtag Sunderland AFC. Uh, um, yeah, he tweeted a picture of like the Sunderland, rather like assumptively, uh, a picture of the Sunderland kit with the Rich Energy logo on it. Uh, and this is still quote from the, uh, the Guardian logo. says uh, on an outdated Sunderland kit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he, we know he's not very good at Photoshop. Remember that one of the pool? <laughs> sure. Had the logo? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, my feeling is that Richard Story's main investment strategy is watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. I. Again, like, this is one of those deals where this is. There's a lot of hoops between him and actually getting hold of Sunderland. <laughs> Um, I'm not saying he's not good for the money, uh, but it does, like, I would wait until the check clears. Um, like, the thing I'm most reminded of is uh, there's this 30 for 30 episode uh, called Big Shot, which is about this dude, uh, Jim Spano or something. Uh, the dude bought the New York Islanders, uh, the wow. Long Island hockey franchise. Well, no, he almost bought it. Uh, he came out of nowhere with like these huge plans to revitalize this NHL team that was once proud, had fallen in hard times, was not in a market that could support a competitive team uh, anymore. Apologies to Long Island. Um, but he shows up and is like, I'm the answer to all your problems. And the Long Island uh, Islanders fandom is so desperate for anyone to come in and say they're going to fix this and like rebuild their coliseum and all that uh that everyone just like jumps aboard they're like this is going to be awesome here's the problem the dude had no money what he had (laughs) like it was straight like this was music man shit like it was just he was a slick con artist who seemed like you would imagine a like million multi-millionaire or billionaire would would be like but he didn't have it uh and so literally he just like he basically started running the team like they they had given him the team 
they were just waiting on like some final paperwork to clear, but they weren't going to stop him from like being owner GM uh, while that paperwork is waiting to be cleared. And it, it got to the point where like literally it was a signature away. Like all he needed was like I think one creditor to underwrite his loans and say like, "Yep, collateral has been presented. This this the financing for this deal is legit. All systems go." And he couldn't do it. And that's how close it came. Like if he, if he could have gotten one name on a signature line, he would have owned that team. Um, <laughs> and then once he'd owned it, nobody could have done shit, right? Like at that point, he would have had an asset, the team. Right. Uh, and so he like was this close to pulling it off. Uh, oh, I, watch I, that. I, I do kind of feel like it might be a similar vibe here. You know, like wait until the suitcase full of ca- cash actually shows. That's amazing. It reminds me, I'll, I'll do this quick because we're segues on segues here, but there was a, uh, just speaking of English football, there's a there's a, a, a sort of a, a famous tale of this player called Ali Dia who signed for Southampton who was basically a sort of a comment to, he, he had like played some like really like non-league French football or something, but he somehow like managed to convince, I think it was Graham Sunez, the manager, that he was the cousin of George Weah, who's this like legendary um, uh, soccer player who's playing for, I think it was Milan at the time. Um, and had like, he basically like got signed as a free agent and they tra- put him on, They like he got to play. Like they, he, and he was like so bad that they substituted him on and substituted him off 50 minutes, which never, ever happens in, in, in soccer that you, a sub comes off. Um uh, he was another like uh, guy who basically like blagged his way onto a Premier League pitch, which is pretty cool. Um, he was basically like, "No, I can't play football, but I'm related to someone who's very good." Right, and, and he wasn't. Oh my god! <laughs> so, which which also yeah, shouldn't really be like you know uh, you know something on your resume is my cousin's good at something, so I am too. All right, um, last thing. This is a bit like all those like there there's a subgenre of. Uh, athletic scandal at like the high school level of like <laughs> high school coaches being duped by like middle aged dudes. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah. they're like high school Children? students. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so like you know, usually I bet, yes. Is I bet there, basketball like, is the one where it happens the most. Oh yeah, of course. And gymnastics the least. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> you you have the element of like probably like. How much do these like generally white coaches really care about right. whether they're like in compliance with the actual regs of their sport versus just winning? Yeah. <laughs> but there's some real good ones of like, you know, 40-year-old dudes just like dunking on children and <laughs> being like blue chip <laughs> prospects for the NCAA. Uh there's a, there's a player in Enwaku Kanu who I think he's Cote d'Ivoire, he's from Cote d'Ivoire. Oh, no, he's maybe Senegalese. Um I have to look it up. Uh, who still people? There's like like the jury's still out on how old he is. Like people, because he 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 had this like incredibly long career and always seemed. And this also might just be like a a lot of you know a, a largely white audience not really having a good grok of 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 uh, of an African person's age by looking at them. Um, but he he always seemed like unbelievably fit but like older than he said he was throughout his entire career and also played well into his late 30s. Um, so it was a similar kind of thing. Sorry, he was Nigerian. Um, a fantastic player. He was favorite Arsenal for years. He was our super sub. You bring him on and he'd score almost every single time. Anyway. I remember we, we talked about somebody maybe not conning their way into an F1 seat, but like people have gotten <laughs> in with virtually no 
racing experience. I mean, this happened like decades ago, but yeah, um, we did. We talked about paid drivers in the seventies and and just how I want to say there was one, one in two, like one the nineties. Was it like a South American or guy or something? I yeah. want to say it was a Pastor Japanese Maldonado. Guy. I think. <laughs> oh, you're right. It. Actually, that is ringing a little bit of a bell. I need to look that up again. Yeah. This is the podcast for segues, though, because it is probably one of our shorter ones. There wasn't much news this week. Um, speaking of interesting, I guess, novelties in our sport, uh, this one comes in from Colin in San Francisco. Uh, Colin asks, recently I was watching some old F1 footage and it dawned on me that I've only ever seen Senna riding on the back of other drivers' cars after the race. Now, if I remember from uh, the uh, eponymous documentary, this was always seen as a big normal thing. But again, I've only see, ever seen him do it. Is there a gap I'm missing in my F1 knowledge? Was this a common thing? Has it been banned for, I can imagine, uh, a number of not unreasonable safety reasons? Keep doing what you do. So I did a big deep dive into this because I wanted to get a sort of a decent idea on this because i to me as well it's always been this thing where like i've seen it in classic footage happened once or twice over the past couple of years uh pascal verline in 2017 i think is the last time i remember after remember vettel accidentally crashed into the back of um lance stroll on like the oh yeah um, when they were coming back in and he blamed stroll for it even though he just kind of (laughs) wasn't looking where he was going um verline picked up vettel then and neither of them got a penalty for it so i was kind of a little bit because the famous one was Alonso and Weber in 2013, where they both got a penalty. In fact, I think Weber got a 10-place grid penalty for the next race because it was his third infraction that year. So I've gone through the history and read a couple of articles to try to figure it out. So in the 60s and 70s, it happened almost all the time because the cars were breaking down nonstop and also nobody, you know, as we know from Grand Prix, safety concerns <laughs> wouldn't come for decades later. Um, but right, and There I weren't like a- people on mopeds around the track stationed there to take you back to the pit. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it was just yeah a done deal. Easier, probably easier on those cars as well. I imagine um, maybe a bit less weird aero shift going on. Uh, flatter places to sit. Uh, but I went back to see if I could where I could get like pre Senna stuff, and sure enough, there's KK Rosberg and Nelson Piquet. Uh, Gerhard Berger is a repeat offender, picking up people <laughs> and being picked up by people. There's like six different instances I saw of him doing it. Um, the famous one, of course, is in Silverstone, which was when Nigel Mansell won the British Grand Prix and uh, picked up Senna, whose car had run out of fuel, I believe. Um, uh, Capelli, that same year in 1991, got picked up. Uh, Schumacher, Schumacher picked up Fisichella in 97. Uh, Coulthard and Hakkinen in Spain in 2001, uh, and a couple of more in that era. So it kept happening. So what I think I've realized, what I think. I ended up finding out some information about the Alonzo Weber one because that was the last time there was a penalty given for it. Um, and I think the reason actually has nothing to do with the rule of picking someone up. It's actually some other rules. So I pulled this from an article. I forget which one it was. Um, and I was going to read from it. Uh, Boat stopping on the track and going on the track without permission are banned. Weber went out to the track to accept a lift from Alonso, who stopped in the middle of the track, on the racing line, actually. The FAI said that this was uh, despite the marshals telling him not to do it. Alonso's stationary Ferrari forced two cars behind him to take avoiding action. Um, 
with Alonso stopping the track and Weber climbing on his side pod, the two Mercedes drivers were next on the scene. Nico Rosberg avoided them to the left and Lewis Hamilton ran over the curbs on the outside as he drove past the Ferrari. I was doing my in-lap, came around the corner and Fernando was there. I was really shocked, said Hamilton. I went to the right of him, but if Mark had been walking across where I went, then I would have run him over. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. It's good for fans to see, and as long as it's on the safe manner, you don't stop on the racing line, then maybe it should be allowed for the future. In sport, it's cool. There have been times where I've driven past someone else who has stopped, and I'd wish I'd stopped. So, it's interesting. The ban wasn't for getting on a car. It was for two separate things, and that's why both of them... That could be why both of them got in trouble, maybe, as well. They they, they decided to run the role that way. Yeah, but neither Verlein or Vettelog... Yeah, totally, yeah. But n- neither Verlein or Vettel got in trouble uh, the other time. Vettel was the last car, I guess. They'd all there was no more traffic, so maybe that had something to do with it. Or Verlein was, I guess. Yeah, because it was um, the it was on the cool down lap, right? Yes, it was on the way back after the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. Cool. So Thanks maybe, for the muckraking. Legal. No worries. It was fun. It was a fun sort of little weird. Thing. I think we all like when we see it, but I think we're also all yeah. kind of a little bit terrified. It reminds me of when we used to go to like the the dump with my dad after we cut the garden. We did the hedge and the grass and stuff, and he just like let my brother and me sit in the back of the trailer, you know, driving down the road at forty miles an hour. And the fucking trailers made of wood and wrought iron that was like banged together thirty years earlier or something. Reminds me when Good you times. see. Um in American football, when you see a you know an opposing player offer a hand up to a, a downed yeah player, <laughs> totally um, bit of humanity that that happens go- more more often than the riding on uh, uh, than the, the car pickup. But by the way, Colin, um, fantastic subject line uh, for that email. Oh, that was me. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> Danny. Yeah. Fantastic subject line. Thank you. Yes. Riding on, uh, riding with boys on cars. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it for emails. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at shift F one podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? Danny? Around the world. Digital and meat space. And maybe also this time with robots. Yeah. Danny. Oh, <laughs> we're back. DTM is das back. Is the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can take out this butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> we <Well>. are Zolder. Apologies to our German <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My accent. I'm basically the guy from Super Troopers um, <laughs> who gets <laughs> who gets pulled over by the cops. <laughs> Uh, yes, DTM is back for their round one. Two races at Circuit Zolder. Um, FIA, Formula 3, and Formula 2 will be joining Formula 1 at Silverstone this weekend. Uh, and we've got, let's see, what else here? World Superbike. Their round two is at uh, Circuito Jerez. Hope you guys mm. also don't boil out there like the MotoGP <laughs> people. Uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship is at Road America this weekend. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. Just the cup, fellas, uh, this weekend. We're at scenic New Hampshire Motor Speedway, Loudon. Mm. You know? New Hampshire. Yeah, the new one. Not old Hampshire. Nope. Uh, For for the Foxwoods Resort Casino 301. 
Where, what, where is that? What's the name of the... It's New Hampshire. What's the name of the track? Uh, the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I'm just trying, I'm trying to see how close to Rob that is. It's not so far from Boston. Uh, I guess it's pretty far. It's about as far as Newport, Rhode Island, in the opposite direction. Um. Oh, I forgot. There's one more before we get to Formula One uh, race times. Um note here is there, not is is there drew is there another race please tell me about this race this is our new voice the first voice we've added in three years uh well if you want to use that voice to read uh this next one you can i think i'm just going to use uh, my regular drew voice here uh the beta season the beta the beta season all, all you cucks come here we got a race for you immediately it's all i could think of <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Robo race. Uh, it actually might be happening this time. Um, this has been in the works for five years. This was originally yeah. going to be the support series for Formula E. Um, I even f- subscribed to their YouTube channel, and it's just been nothing. Like it's just, I mean, self-driving cars are hard. Uh, I also live in San Francisco, and I sometimes have to get stuck behind a self-driving car in training <laughs> and they drive like complete idiots. So I know it's hard. Um, but Robo race has announced, yes, the season beta calendar starting September 21st. Uh, and it looks like two rounds, uh, two races per week per, per month. Um, on a, one weekend per calendar. month. Yeah. We've got, yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six weekends. 12 races um one weekend a month from september to uh may so i guess we do skip a few from uh january to to april well there. the robots have to go home for christmas you know that's right no, it's a mid-season Ro- break robot christmas it's on late <laughs> january right it's when the celebration of the crucifixion of a microwave or something wow um i think these cars look cool i uh, I've had Wait, to... the birth of a microwave. Sorry, that's robot Easter. How embarrassing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I am not holding my breath for this because uh, I've been doing that for the last, you know, whenever they announced this. Um, well, ironically, but, the robots can. What, hold their breath? Hold their breath. They can hold their breath, yeah, forever. No social distancing. I've got, I have, I have a great five minutes. Are you just trying to pad this on, out? F- yeah. No, I've just got a great five minutes on robots. I've been meaning, meaning to shop and all the comedy places have been closed. So I'm just kind <clears> of <throat> continue. Okay. Well, uh, ESPN has not updated their webpage with uh, what channels and when everything is. Uh, practice on Friday, qualifying on Saturday, race <laughs> on Sunday. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, another doubleheader. This podcast is almost an, an hour long. We're so so close. I'm just going to say, uh, since we brought up the F1 drivers riding on cars thing, I searched it, <laughs> and I found a video of Weber being given the ride by uh, Alonzo. Yeah. But it seems to have immediately activated some sort of like douche suggestion <laughs> filter in the YouTube <laughs> algorithm in a way that is concerning. Uh, okay. Videos, YouTube, like because I watched this video, YouTube wants me to watch passing a cop at 186 miles per hour. Wow. Okay. Worst it's, it's effort just like- plays in U.S. sports competi- compilation. 
Navy SEAL Jocko Willink breaks down combat scenes from movies. With Joe Rogan? Okay, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow, you've so yeah. it's like searching for weird F1 like trivia is like the douche bro like uh signal like it, it signals YouTube that like yes. just serve that shit up. It's really it's, it's, it's really powerful. It's like you're you're interested in sports, but you you also just kind of want to enjoy some nice trash, you know, like like sports trash. You're it's, a it's lad, like, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. and see the problem is they're they're right with me on half that stuff. Like half that stuff, I lap it up. I'm like, yeah, show me some Russian dash cam videos. I'm all about it. <laughs> like I'll, I'll 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 stay awake in bed for two hours watching these, no problem. Uh, so but yeah, it is a problem. Sometimes you then you get like yeah. Yeah, like, like I, the, you know, negging the cops and then driving <laughs> away from them and stuff. You know, it's like, wow, okay, stuff. You, you could just put this stuff on YouTube, huh? Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, we're on YouTube, youtube.com slash shift F1, shift F1 podcast. I think it were shift F1 podcast. Surely we can't be shift F1. I think we might be. You sure are. If you go to Sweet. Shift F1 podcast, you might end up on someone else's one. <laughs> nope, just a m- monkey with a looking glass and a cap. Uh, I I got hit by the algorithm recently. The cloth map stuff. Mm. Just one video just shot up. Which one? Uh, the Cuba internet one. Oh yeah, um, it got recommended to me a bunch in the past couple of weeks, and I've yeah. already watched it. So I was like, <laughs> "Why are you recommend?" It's good though. Uh, no offense. Hey, but thank like, you. I, you know, I, I I don't know why it got picked up, but um. Cuba. Uh, who can say so how right the internet works? Um, if you'd mm. like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so on the internet at patreon.com <laughs> slash shift F1. Uh, anything else, Danny, before we head off into uh, the British sunset? Danny is looking forward to the race. <laughs> and Rob. The real life lore YouTube channel will answer what's the <laughs> deepest hole we can possibly dig? Weirdly, I think we answer this question every week on this show. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly do. Uh, All right, that is it for us. Uh, Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Yum. Top 10 animal encounters on the PGA Tour. I might have to watch this one when we're done. There's a bird. Looks like it's about to steal a golf ball. That looks hilarious.